I invite you to stand as we sing together, Jesus, you're my firm foundation.
morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West, and this is a wonderful Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all of you that have been blessed to be able to have children, but also those who may not have been able to have children but have kids that you have invested in over the course of the years. God has given ladies some incredible abilities, and today we honor you. So thank you for being here. First Baptist Church has a wonderful history of coming together for corporate worship. And we love our guests. In a friendly congregation, we strive to reach out to the community. And so if this is one of the first times that you've been here, you've never filled out one of our guest cards, we'd love for you to take that card from the pew in front of you and just fill it out. And as you leave today, if you just drop in one of the offering containers as you leave, I would appreciate that. Let's pray together. Father, Father, thank, thank you, you for the time, the time that you've given, given us today. today. The music, the music this, morning this morning has already, has already set, set the stage, stage for us, us to come, come before, before you, you to worship. worship. And we, and have, we have been. Father, Father from, from uh, the, the organ, organ to, to the beautiful, beautiful bells, to the, the congregation singing the words that have, have huge, huge impact, you, you are, are our foundation. foundation. No matter, no matter what, what happens, happens you're, you're our anchor. anchor. Father, Father in, uh, in so many, many ways, not, not only in our country, country around, around this world, but Father, in our individual lives, lives there, there are things, things that take place, place that can, can rock, rock us, us and confuse us, us but, but you are always the one that holds us tight in your hand. hand. And we're and thankful, thankful for that. that. And, I and I pray, pray God, God that today, as we honor moms, as we honor ladies, to invest into, into the lives of so many of us, we want to thank you. Thank, thank you for, for giving them, them the, ability the ability to nurture, the ability, the ability to have, have love, deep love, to selflessly invest in the lives, lives of others. And God, God it's a beautiful, beautiful idea, idea of being created in your image because, because these are the very characteristics that you have and why we come to worship today. We want to give you the honor and praise and glory that only you deserve. And I pray that the power of your spirit would speak boldly to us and will be experienced in our presence today. In Jesus' name. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength. Let's sing.
Please pray, pray with me. me. Most, most gracious and heavenly Father, what a beautiful day you have given us to come and call us to worship you here in your house. Father, I just am so grateful for our each and every mother that we have. We realize that some of us have shortcomings, all of us have shortcomings as we raised our children and our parents raised us. But we are so thankful that you are always there beside us. That your love is always there, Lord. Thank, Thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you would be with those that are not here today, our families, some of them are sick, our church family, and I just pray that you would comfort them, they would feel your presence. Lord, my words don't always flow freely, but I just pray that you will hear my heart, Lord, and know that we are grateful and we love you. Just ask for your presence here today. May the Holy Spirit fill this place. May the message of Dr. Kennedy that you have given him that will penetrate our hearts, Lord, that we may go out and change those that are around us. Show the love that you have shown us. I ask these in Christ's most holy name.
what he cared for me. opportunity from time to time to sit down and talk about it. I, I hear stories that I didn't know anything about. And I tell a few stories that she didn't know anything about. Moms make a difference in our lives. They have an investment. And I believe that most likely, at least in general, the life of the mother or motherhood itself can be defined in some way as just waiting. Moms, they wait for that life to grow just under their heart so that that bundle of joy can be born. They wait for that little one to go to sleep. Rarely do they wake, wait for that little one to wake up, though. <laughs> and I think that it, the most significant things happen to a baby that all... The mother can do is is wait 
She must wait for the child to talk. She must wait for the child to walk. She must wait for that child to begin the process of displaying very distinctive characteristics that are going to mark that child as an individual. Because every one of us are unique. Every one of us have a different personality. We all are gifted by God. And so frankly, if I could just be honest, I like being an observer of all of these things on this side as a grandfather. Because my kids have to wait all the time. They just get to share the good news with me. God has given women the amazing ability to be nurturers, to be compassionate, to be full of love, and to be selfless. A great deal of motherhood is dependent in trusting the will, the purpose, and the timing of God. If they don't do that, and it's hard to do, to wait on the Lord to bring about what He desires in our children's lives, whether they be small children or whether they be our grown children. Much of a mother's life is devoted to her children's or her child's well-being. And I think the greatest decision that any mother can make would be to focus on and be obedient to God's desire for their child. That is what his will and purpose and timing is for the development of that child. And sometimes that's a late development. I think the Bible illustrates to us how mothers can choose either to trust or not to trust the father's will and his purpose and his timing in relation to their children no matter what age. And I'd like to, to take two examples of amazing women. Women who have incredible characteristics but that took somewhere down the line one decision upon themselves. I think about the one who forgot to trust God's plan later in life. You have heard the story in Genesis chapters 22 through 29 about Rebecca and Isaac and their love story. It's one of the most beautiful stories that you'll read. How Isaac, as um, having lost his mother, was lonely, was uncertain, and his father, Abraham, years past the time when Abraham had laid him upon the altar to, to, to sacrifice him before God, years down the line, Abraham told his trusted servant, I want you to go to the land of, of our clan, not to the land of the Canaanites where we are, but I want you to go to the land of Mesopotamia. And I want you to go and I want you to find a suitable wife for my son Isaac. If you cannot find a suitable wife, one that God reveals to you, then your charge is given up. 
and you can return. And so this trusted servant takes his journey all the way to Mesopotamia. He comes to, uh, to the city of Abraham's brother. He has his camels to kneel down outside the city at the well. And he prays this prayer because now the women are about to come out toward the evening to draw water. And he prays this prayer and he says, Lord, I want you to respect and to honor my master. Please bring a woman who will give me water when I ask and also volunteer to give drinks to all of my camels. Sounds like kind of a weird prayer, huh? Very specific. And so here come the ladies, and, and here was Rebecca. I, I really don't know what age Rebecca was. I would say probably in, the, in her teens, um, somewhere in that range. And she comes and Eliezer asks, could I have some water? She says, oh my Lord, yes, of course. And so she gives him the water and even puts it in her hands down to where he is so that he can drink. And she says, let me also get water for all of your camels. And she went through and gave water in the trough to every single one of those camels. And right there, the servant praised God. As the story unfolds, he goes in and gives the understanding to the family of what Abraham is desiring, what he did in reference to God. And they all said, okay, all right. This obviously is what God wanted. He begins the next morning to say, let's go on our journey back to Isaac. And all of a sudden, there was a change in plans. He said, well, let, let Rebecca stay with us for 10 more days or so. And the servant said, no, we must be on our way. And so they said, well, we're going to let, we're going to let Rebecca decide. And so they posed the question and her comment was, yes, I will go. He didn't, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, but it is such a moving experience because she didn't seem to bat an eye. She seemed to be very content in her heart. This is exactly what needs to take place. And off they journey on their, uh, on their, their camels back with uh, a caravan. Isaac is praying. He's in meditation. He sees all of these camels coming. And he stops what he's doing and he goes out to begin to head to look to see who is in this caravan. Rebecca gets off of the camel and she asks the servant, who is that coming toward us? And the servant says, that is Isaac, the man that will be your husband. And she didn't hesitate again. And they were married. It's an incredible love story. I bet you if I went around this room, 
for those of you that have been uh, married, are married, even if you have lost your spouse, you could tell me some amazing love stories. You could tell me how you met your spouse. You could tell me all the things that God did surrounding that and how that love just blossomed. I don't have time to tell you about my love story, but I will tell you this. It is real. That's exactly what happened to Rebecca and Isaac. And it's kind of interesting here because as we talk about Rebecca, because that's who I want to focus on, Rebecca had some amazing characteristics, wonderful characteristics. Number one, she appears in the Old Testament uh, in the scene as a woman who is charming and even has a disarming character about herself. We see that at the well. She was charming to, uh, to Eliezer, Abraham's <coughs> servant. In fact, not only was she charming to him and disarming, she was gracious and, un and an unselfish woman. The scripture says in Genesis chapter 24, verses 17 and 19, the servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar into her hands and gave him a drink. And after she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. This was exactly the answer to the prayer that Eleazar had given prior to the ladies coming out. Identical. God's will was being accomplished. Things were beginning to happen. She is also a woman with an assertive decision-making skills. She didn't hesitate. She obviously was a very smart woman. And so, as I had spoken to you about, when asked the question, do you want to go or not, the answer was very clear in verse 58, I will go. She was willing to leave her Mesopotamian family to marry a man that she had never met and who lived in a foreign land. She was also a woman of purity. The scripture tells us in verse 16 of Genesis 24, the woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. This is the first great monogamous marriage in the Genesis accounts between her and Isaac. And she's also a woman of prayer. She specifically is cited as the first woman to call upon God. The scene is like this. It's 20 years later. She has not been able to conceive. Isaac intercedes before God that she might be able to have a child. And God answered that prayer. She had two, Esau and Jacob. There's something that happened, the scripture says, within her. And she said, oh my goodness gracious, I need to inquire of the Lord. That is, is verse 22, the latter part in Genesis 25, verse 22. She went to inquire of the Lord. Here she goes before God and says, God, what, what is going on? And it's at that point, if you go on and read through the scriptures, that God reveals to her, and this is very important, reveals to her exactly how these two children will turn out and what his plan was specifically for Jacob. 
So everything about Rebecca seems to be ideal. You go through the characteristics, through all of those years, living in a foreign land, away from her family as such, and she endured. And she continued on. And she was an amazing mom. It came about that uh, I believe that Esau was, and Jacob were about 40 years old, if my memory's correct. And there's one flaw that Rebecca seemed to have. Just one. At a critical juncture, both for her family and also for God's plan, she forgot her dependence and her sensitivity to trust God's plan, his purpose, and his timing. She decided to take things into her own hands. Have you ever done that? Man, I have. You know, when I'm waiting to hear from God, and, uh, and I think back through the years, and I'm just, I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I said, man, we've got to do something. And I'll just take things in my own hands and move forward. And you come back and you say, well, that was not the right move. <laughs> there is danger to that. When God has laid his plan out before you, as he did Rebecca, all those years before, when she inquired of him, he laid out his plan, but she thought, man, I'm going to have to intervene here. And the problem, this lapse started because there was an obvious favoritism. In Genesis chapter 25 and verse 28, the scripture says, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Yikes. <laughs> There's favoritism on both sides, but we're talking about Rebekah today. Isaac will be another day. Here we find that this kind of prejudice inevitably leads to family tragedy. It just can't happen. This favoritism led to manipulation of the family life and deception on the part of Jacob. Now, how did that happen? Well, it came time for Isaac to give his blessing. And if you read some commentators, he kind of did it quietly, secretly. That's what his plan was uh, because he knew that this was not the right place to go, but he wanted to lay that blessing upon the firstborn, which was Esau. He had a love, Isaac did, for wild game. He loved the way that, uh, that Esau could make and that, that wild game taste amazing. And so he said, Esau before, he, he was old, he couldn't see anymore, his eyes were dim. And so he said, before I die, I want you to go and get, get some of that wild game and I want you to bring it back because I want to eat that. And so off he went. He was a great hunter. Jacob, who uh, Scripture tells us loved to kind of stay around the tents. <laughs> he, he didn't really like to go out and hunt. He just kind of loved that area and had gifts in that area, we find, as his life goes on. But Rebecca overheard the conversation between Isaac and Esau. And she called Jacob and said, listen, this is what we need to do. 
Isaac is going to give the blessing. And you need to be the one to get that blessing. Go back and remember that she, God had revealed to her exactly what needed to take place. And she decided instead of following God's timing to go and intervene on her, uh, to, to manipulate the situation herself. So what happens is that she, uh, she cooks up a great goat. She makes it ready so that it will taste scrumptious for Isaac. Isaac is sitting there and waiting. Rebecca dresses Jacob in Esau's clothes so it will smell right. She takes goat skins and puts it on, on his arms and over him because Esau was a hairy man. And so he goes in and he sits down and he says, Father, Isaac says, well, who, who is this? He says, it's Esau. He says, Esau? You have the voice of Jacob. Are you really Esau? He said, yes, Father. Well, bring me the food. And so he brings that scrumptious food, and it is very good. And he comes, and, and he says, come closer. I, I, want to, I want to touch you. Give me a kiss. And he, he kissed him. He felt his arms and saw that it was hairy. He kissed him, and he smelled the clothes that would be the clothes of Esau, one that was a hunter. And so he gave the blessing that was meant for Esau in his mind to Jacob. The favoritism. The reality is that I believe Rebekah wanted to do the right thing. If you go into scripture, you find that Esau had, uh, had I think, believe, I believe it's two wives at that time, both were Hittites. And the scripture says that they gave Isaac and Rebekah trouble all the time. Rebekah didn't want that for the leader of the clan. And so the situation begins to go awry. What Rebekah said, this is the right thing to do, but she did it in the wrong way. You see, God desired for Jacob to be the man of God, the man of his choice, but God in his sovereignty would have shaped the destiny of Jacob without the manipulation and the deceit of Rebekah. You see, that's the whole intent of trusting God to fulfill his plan rather than us jumping in front of the train and trying to maneuver and manipulate things to get the final outcome that we think God wants. It was a dear price that she paid for not trusting God's plan. Even Jacob questioned her. He said, Mom, this is deceitful. And she responded in this way because Jacob didn't want a curse put on him. In, in Genesis 27, 13, he said, His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. She knew that she was doing it. This person of incredible character, so many good qualities, so faithful in so many areas, just one flaw. Because Rebecca could not trust the sovereignty of God, the rest of her days were a heartache. Because of this one action, here's what she saw. She saw strife between her children 
her grown children, Esau and Jacob. Verse 41 in, in chapter 27 says that Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning of my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. She had to see that. She heard that. She had lost confidence of her husband. And she even lost Jacob forever. Because when she got the information that Esau was going to kill Jacob, she brought him in in verse 43 and says, Now then, my son, do what I say, flee at once. Where was he fleeing to? Back to Mesopotamia. Back to the family clan. When he returned 20 years later, Rebekah was dead. It is a heartbreaking story at the end, even though it was a full life of just amazing love and compassion with just one flaw. It's important for us to trust God. It's important for us to trust his plan and let his timing take place. The next few minutes, let me take another journey with you. This time, a mother who trusted the plan of God, and it was most difficult. Her name was Jochebed. Jochebed was the mother of Moses. She's mentioned twice in Scripture, Exodus chapter 6 and verse 20, and Numbers chapter 26, verse 59. Jochebed had wonderful characteristics, as did Rebekah. We're told virtually nothing about this mother of Israel, with the exception that the husband that she married was of the Levite tribe, and she herself was of the Levite tribe. And so there was that priestly ancestry, that devotion to God. A slave woman in Egypt, she mothered three remarkable children. Aaron, Aaron who would become the great priest. Miriam, who was a spiritual leader. And then Moses, the incomparable, the one that God would rise up to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery. Jochebed's singular contribution was her utter trust in the will and the purpose and the timing of God. She was a woman of perception concerning her child Moses. The Bible says in uh, the first part of uh, Exodus chapter 2 and verse 2, says she became pregnant and gave birth to a son when she saw that he was a fine child. Very interesting term there. The Hebrew word suggests that there was something remarkable about Moses from the very beginning. We look at the word fine say, oh, that's fine, it's okay. That's not what this word means. She saw something remarkable. We find that uh, Jochebed had the spiritual vision to see the remarkable. She had that kind of insight. You know how mothers are. And look at that child. They just know. They know what's going to take place. They, they have this sense about the character a lot more than, than most of us guys ever get to. <coughs> She had a discerning trust in God's plan and his will. She was one 
as a mother, she's one that knew when to hold her child and when to let her child go. Pharaoh had sent an edict. The Hebrew slaves had become so powerful. He said, I want every male Hebrew to be killed upon birth. The females can live. And so, Jochebed made the most selfless decision. In chapter 2, verse 2, the latter part, the Bible says she hid him for three months. It was against Pharaoh's edict. She did everything that she could to protect this fine child, this remarkable child. She did everything to make sure that this baby would be safe and nurtured. But a time came when she had to release Moses for God's purposes. And so she prepared a basket, a basket uh, made out of papyrus. She coated it with, uh, uh, with pitch and tar to make sure that it could float. It's interesting that uh, in, in Exodus chapter 2, the latter part of verse 3 and verse 4, the scripture says, Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister Miriam stood at a distance to see what would happen. <clears throat> Here, a mother, afraid her child would be taken and killed, but knew that he was remarkable. God had something in store for him. She put him in this safe place, praying that God would take care of him. <coughs> As mothers, because of the very makeup of the nurturing, that would be hard to do. To trust God, to say, I've got to trust you because you have something special. Because most moms that I know are going to intervene as much as they possibly can. But she trusted him. She suppressed her own possessive maternal love and released him to God's plan. Here she is utterly unlike Rebecca at this point. She perpetrated no deception whatsoever. She did combine absolute faith along with a nurturing, protective provision. She believed with all of her heart that God had a plan. She had absolute faith to do that. And there was no deception. She just put that basket into the Nile, into the, where the reeds were, knowing that some Egyptian is going to find that child. We also find with motherly activity, she carefully constructed that basket boat. And she carefully instructed her daughter, Miriam, to watch over that basket from a distance. You notice that she didn't just take Moses and throw him in the Nile and say, God, this is your plan, so you take care of it. Sometimes we do that. We say, well, this is what God's plan is, so God, you do it. I'm just going to sit here and watch on the sideline. But she was proactive. <coughs> she made that basket. She prepared everything, made sure that he would be protected and safe. She did her activity. She did her action.
to make sure and say, God, okay, now I've done my part. Now, you do your part, what you have communicated in this fine child. We also find that she had a distinctive trust in God because she released the baby into the river that was worshipped by the Egyptians as a god. They worshipped the Nile. God could use this unlikely vehicle for his purposes. He had his plan far and wide. He knew exactly what was going to take place. He knew that Moses was going to come and through the incredible education process in the first 40 years of his life in Egypt, and then the second 40 years of his life as a, uh, as a shepherd out in the land of Midian, learning how to live off the land and guiding all of these flocks. And then the last 40 years of his life, leading the people of Israel out of Egypt into the land, to the, prom, to the land of promise. God had a plan all the way across, but it all comes back to his mom. Trusting that God had his plan and that God would accomplish that plan. And so guess what happened? Pharaoh's daughter, not just somebody, but Pharaoh's daughter came and saw the basket and had one of her servants go and get it and saw Moses there and he was crying. And who, who, who can't look at a baby and say, man, I want to take care of this baby. I want to make sure this baby is protected. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we find that Miriam, Moses' sister, came to Pharaoh and said, would you like for me to get a Hebrew woman to take care of this baby in these early days? And she says in this scripture, yes, go. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Wow. See how God's plan just opens up. Not only did she get to raise him those first seven years, but she got paid doing it. God has a plan. They say the first five years of a baby's life are the most impressionable. It's where character is built. That's where uh, the, uh, the guidance, the boundaries, ethics, morality, so many things are learned. And so we see that God had a plan. Rebecca forgot God's plan. She forgot his purpose and his timing. She was faithful. She had great characteristics. She, she was ideal. She just had that one flaw of favoritism. Even though she knew what God wanted to do in Jacob's life, she felt like she had to intervene rather than letting God take control. And it brought heartache the remaining years of her life and the conflict between Esau and Jacob. On the other side, we see Jochebed. That she remembered looking at this remarkable child. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And it's in his timing. And she got everything. Moses was saved from the sword. She got to raise him the first seven years, which is most impressionable. 
and then he got the very best education that could be afforded in that day. You know her heart was full. This morning, as we celebrate motherhood, as we celebrate ladies, there's not a lady here that doesn't have wonderful characteristics. Amazing. And this is actually true for the guys as well. We have to look deep within our hearts to find out if there possibly is a flaw that would not allow us to trust God and his timing and his purpose for our children who are grown, our grandchildren, or maybe for other things in our life. We have two wonderful examples, strong followers and great characteristics. Trust God, his purpose, his will, and his timing. Father, we come to your time of invitation, and it is very specific. As we celebrate mothers, you've given us great examples here, true life examples. And God, every one of us, we desire to follow you. We desire to hold on to what your will is. When you have given us clarity, when you have given us wisdom, God, I pray that we would be actively involved and engaged in following your plan and being obedient to it and not short-circuit it. Not do what we think is the best to get to the, what we anticipate the right objective. But God, help us today to look deep within. And let you reveal to us anything that we might need to adjust. That we might need to repair. We might need to confess. Or Father, we might need to say, thank you for the challenge, God. This is what I'm going to do from this point on. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Please stand for our invitation.
Be seated, please, if you would. In both lobbies, there are two sign-up sheets, one for the Partners on Mission Meal, which will be this Wednesday at 4 p.m. We have a special guest speaker, the pastor of Relentless Church, one of our ministry partners, Bryson Isom, will be coming to share with us how God has been working in that congregation. We need to know if you're coming for dinner, though. It's a Subway sandwich dinner, so we need to make sure that we have enough for you. There's also a sign-up for the movie lunch. That will be Thursday the 26th. You have a couple more weeks after today, but if you want to sign up today, that would be great too. As we leave today, there will be gentlemen at each of the exits with a basket and ladies, all ladies, there's a gift that we want you to have. It's a little devotional book. So make sure that you get one of those before you leave. And men, if you want to go ahead and take your places now, that would be good. As Jerry Richards comes to lead us in our closing prayer, Jerry, if you would come. But I do encourage you to come on Wednesday and hear how God is working in the Congregation for Relentless Church. Let's stand as we are dismissed. I have a prayer here to uh, honor all the mothers Good. I found online here, and uh, I'd like to say this right now. Heavenly Father, I pray this, I speak this prayer to you now in gratitude and praise for the gift of mothers. My mother, those are my friends, relatives, those I've never known, all mothers. Thank you for the role that you play in the family unit. Thank you for their teachings, their wisdom, their patience and understanding. Thank you for the physical, emotional, spiritual gifts they possess. I pray that you help mothers all across the world to be a blessing upon their children. Whether delivering affirmation or discipline, I pray that you help every word and action to be done in love. And I pray that children throughout the world would take time to honor their mothers that you would show them how to do so. I pray that these mothers also act as a blessing beyond their households, reaching into their extended families, communities, churches, schools. I pray that the impact of motherhood is revered throughout society and that these women are acknowledged for their everyday impact on the world. May you guide each of them into, fill, into fulfilling their purpose here on earth. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.